All right, there we are. Trinity Church, how you doing? Happy Sunday. You guys sound great. Can we thank the worship team? What a great job, week in and week out. And I really appreciate their preparation and their thoughtfulness. Actually, one of the songs we sang a few minutes ago is exactly how our passage begins today. God is able. And so I'm excited to look at that with you in just a minute. My name's Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. Absolute privilege and pleasure to get to be with you today. You are, yeah, there you go, Jen. You are, we are in week two of a series called Giving 101. They have the basics of generosity, and we are excited to dive in with you. If you have a Bible today, you can open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we were last week. We're just going to continue forward. In your Trinity this week, you have some notes that look like this. So if you want to get those out, that'll help you track with us a little bit better throughout the message today. Well, let me catch up to a couple things as you're finding your way there. Number one, today is uh, our Start Here Day. Not only do we have a Start Here booth, but basically once a month, our staff team will be out at that booth with the whole goal of just getting to meet and connect with you if you're new to Trinity. So just take advantage of that today. We'd love to get a name and a face and an opportunity to connect. It'll be right out these double doors at the end of the service. And if we can be of any help to you as well, I will be there and some of our other team. We'd love to do that. Along with that, uh, look, uh, well, you don't have this, actually. Look at the slide. Last week in our series, we mentioned this idea, what's going on next Sunday, the 24th of November, this equipping for generosity. Uh, what we're doing is we realized as we were putting the series together that there would be a host of us who would say, Todd, being generous would be great, but I've got some significant financial struggles that are just not allowing me to be generous like I'd like. And so we wanted to help you with that. We're doing a free afternoon next Sunday, two to five. And these are, I'm going to show you these. I didn't give you specifics last week, but these are some of the um, types of workshops we're going to have. Things like budgeting basics and debt management, the, the basics of risk management, so how much insurance should you consider, biblical investing, uh, Christian estate planning, and then legal and financial solutions with special situations. So all those will be available next Sunday afternoon, two to five. These are available at every exit today. So number one, they're for you to get an understanding of what's going on, if we can be helpful to you. But they're also an incredible invite. So if you have people in your relational world who maybe have never been to Trinity Church before, think about this through just this lens for a minute. If you are, they've talked to you and, hey, we've got some challenges we're facing, if you go to them and say, hey, my church is putting on this thing, it's free of charge, all you have to do is just register online so we can figure out what size rooms we need for each seminar, but come to this thing next Sunday, they just want to be helpful to you. That's all this is, is simply trying to be practically helpful to some of the things you're facing and the people in your relational world are facing. So your people are absolutely invited to this. Take one of these as an invitation to them. If you're in the room, I was talking last service, we have a lot of our high school students that sit down front. There is never a time that's too early to start figuring this stuff out and wrapping your head around God's design for stewardship. So if that would be helpful, no matter where you're at age-wise, uh, we'd love to have you come to that. Next Sunday, the 24th, all right? All right, well, we're doing it. We're doing what every church gets accused of only doing, and that's all they ever do is talk about money. We're doing it. For these three weeks, we're going, hey, God, we want to understand what your word says about things like stewardship, about things like how we ought to invest what you've given us. And one of the big reasons why we've realized we need to talk about it more at Trinity is because it's what Jesus talked a lot about. 
And why did Jesus do it? Because he wanted your money? No. Jesus understood, what does he say in the uh, Sermon on the Mount? That your heart is tethered to what you treasure. And if you treasure financial comfort or security, you're treasuring the wrong thing. Because Jesus says that stuff's not gonna last. And by the way, in your own life experience, you already know it's true. If you, own, if you bought a home in 2008, you obviously know it's true, okay? So the reality is, is that these things, they come and they go, but our treasure is to be found in Jesus and in what he says is gonna last for eternity rather than something that's temporal. And so that's why we're looking at things that he tells us about, and we're gonna see through the Apostle Paul about what is it that we should understand about giving and giving generously and giving cheerfully, and that's where we're gonna pick it up today. In your notes and up on the screen, we have a now what statement, and this is what we're gonna be looking at today. This is kind of the takeaway that I wanna let you know about where we're going. Be generous with what God has provided, knowing that he'll keep providing in the future. Remember, our now what statement is never just a summary statement, it's an action statement. This is something I'm supposed to apply this week, and whether this begins in big or small steps, this would be my prayer as you see the word of God today. You go, God, I wanna begin doing this. I wanna trust you for some things I haven't yet trusted you for, all right? Take a look in your notes. Number one, generosity begins with trusting God. Generosity begins. I think the whole aspect, the whole topic begins of when I understand that, number one, I have to put my faith, my confidence, my trust in who God is and that he's the provider. In your Bibles, you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We pick it up where we left off last week. We're in verse 8. It says, and God is able to bless you abundantly, watch this, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. So before we dive into that particular passage last week, I just kind of laid out what we just called giving 101. Just what are some basics? If I can't get my head and my heart around these things, I probably won't really get much of anything else after that. So take a look in your notes or on the screens. We started last week by saying this. You need to understand, I need to understand that what is mine is not mine. That God is the owner of everything. He has simply entrusted resources to me for a time that I would invest them wisely as a steward or a manager. That's a huge idea that people struggle with no matter how long you have even been a follower of Jesus or been at church, is the idea that what you have isn't yours, it's God's who owns it, who's entrusted it to you. This summer, we taught through that parable, the parable of the, the faithful stewards, and those were people who had, these servants who had received amounts that was never theirs to use however they wanted. It was simply entrusted to them to invest wisely. So that stewardship idea just undergirds everything. But the second one is true, and it's what we're talking about today. Trust is the hinge for giving consistently and obediently or not. Meaning if I don't trust that God is going to provide, that's going to deeply affect the way and how I give or the lack thereof. So it really does, and we'll see it more today. It's really in the bedrock of trusting God. Last week, we shared three principles for how to begin thinking about giving. The first is that of a priority, meaning what we saw in the Old Testament is that people gave their first fruits, meaning it wasn't as though I used whatever I had harvested, and, and if there's some left over, if, then I'll make sure I give that part to God. 
They were instructed the other way around. Give to God first, number one, knowing that there won't be enough left. I mean, that's how we roll. But number two, that then it shows a priority of putting him first and then being able to live well on what is left over for our use. And we see that, that idea carried over into the New Testament as well. We gave you a passage on that from this same letter, 2 Corinthians, last week. So within that, then we see the next one, the idea of a percentage. And the idea that there, this to me is a real thoughtfulness for sometimes when we begin to start giving and think about that thoughtfully, the initial part is, hey, you know what? What do I have on me? They're kind of digging through the pockets and, okay, we'll do that. A percentage means there's a thoughtfulness, means there's a, a purposefulness of prior to giving where I'm going, you know what, God, I want to look at what you've said and I want to develop a percentage and I want to consistently give it that for at least now. We talked last week that in the Old Testament, that percentage was pretty clear. The word tithe comes from the word 10th. But we said in the New Testament, we just don't really see that idea laid out specifically like it was then. I think a lot of people use that as kind of a goal, either to be at or above. But the idea is what I want you to think of more than anything. Like if you're here today and you said, Todd, I've really never made giving to my local church and giving to the kingdom being expanded in any kind of consistent way, then 10%, I mean, do you just want me to let the people, let the bank have my house back today? That's how that's gonna go. That seems like just off the chart so much. And I've always been a big fan of every area of obedience in my life and when I talk to people is that something is better than nothing. So where it just begins is it begins. It begins someplace with the goal of saying, God, I wanna give and I wanna see how faithful you are as you meet my needs and then I wanna see how that can grow. So it begins as an intentional percentage. And then finally, this idea that it's, it's uh, progressive. That as, and I love, we'll actually read these words today, as seed increases, there's an opportunity to invest it more and use it more for God's purposes. So these three P words are helpful. And I just want to review those briefly. We'll do it next week as well. Just to keep it out in front of us, that's a really good guideline for thinking about if, if giving is a new thing for you and what we can do. Let's look back at our passage. It began with the phrase we sang earlier today, and God is able. Now, I want you to see that actually comes right on the heels of where we finished last week, and we saw God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver, and we talked about that. We said the reason why God loves a cheerful giver is because God is a cheerful giver. He gives generously. It is in the nature of God. What does the passage say? For God so loved, he gave. By nature, God is a God who seeks, who desires, who finds joy in giving. So we reflect his character when we are people who give as well. It's all we're doing is reflecting who he has been to us. So we finished off, and I didn't even get time last week. We were running way too long. And you're like, yes, Todd, I was here, I know. Um, but in that, that word cheerful is an interesting word. That word actually is the Greek word. We get our English word hilarious. Think about that. We get our English word hilarious from that word that's translated generous. And it has this idea that there is actually, usually when you and I think hilarious, we're doubled over laughing. This word actually hilarious means there's a thoughtfulness of putting something aside to then be enjoyed later, a hilarity of giving. And so that's kind of a cool thing. That's what that, that passage just before we're at today. And so what we see is two things. We see the posture, the attitude of giving that God is after is that it be generous, but then we also see what really undergirds that is trust. I believe, and I'm demonstrating that I believe that God is able. 
these very next words that we read. Some are here today and you would say, Todd, I walked in here today, maybe you didn't even know the topic we were talking about, but you walked in here today saying, Todd, I want to have more faith. I want to trust God for bigger things. I just don't know how. And so if that's you here today, let me, let me just answer to that question. And it's actually found actually in our next blank. Look in your notes. Trust is developed step by step, not in one giant leap. Trust is developed step by step, not in one gigantic leap. Some of us are thinking that. You're thinking, okay, God, I know that I'm struggling to believe you for these things in my life, but here's what's probably gonna happen. You're gonna bring this huge trial, this huge challenge in front of me, and that's when I'm gonna lean in. I'm gonna trust you like never before. Can I tell you that's not what's gonna happen? Because that thing's gonna show up in your life and because your pattern has been, I'm not really sure God is trustworthy, meaning I haven't, I know the Bible says it, I know the right answer, but in my life, how I express obedience to God, I haven't really seen it. So therefore, when that thing comes, this is gonna blow me up all the more. So where does it begin? And I wanna help you with this today. It begins with the thing you're staring at. Meaning you're here today and you've got some health concerns. They might not be the biggest thing ever, but they're things you're going, I don't know what's gonna happen next. Others of us have wayward children that are breaking our hearts. Others of us do have financial issues that are a struggle. It's not the biggest thing ever, but you're staring at a thing that God is saying, can you trust me? Can you believe me that I can walk you through this? And where I would say that faith begins is taking God at his word for the thing you're staring at today. Not waiting for some big thing later to really demonstrate your faith in God, beginning with whatever you're staring at today. That's where faith grows. This is how it happened to me related to giving. So <clears throat> I told you before, I grew up in a family where I can't remember not going to church and not knowing about how much Jesus loves me and I'm grateful for that heritage that my parents gave me. And within that, uh, one thing that I saw modeled very consistently, like I have a mental image in my mind, even as I share this with you, is that every Sunday morning, my dad would go over to his dresser where he'd have his checkbook, and he'd take out his checkbook and he'd write a check, he'd rip it off, put it in an envelope, put the envelope in the front of his Bible, and we'd go off to church. Now, I was often in some other kids' program, but I knew exactly what was gonna happen. That was gonna go in the offering plate or the offering bag when it came around. So my dad demonstrated well to me, showed me, modeled well for me what it means to be someone who gives consistently and who gives obediently. I saw that from a young age. So fast forward a little bit. I'm in high school and I get my first job and I'm working in fast food. So you know there's a lot of money in this, right? A lot of money in that. So I get this fast food job and I'm working a few hours a week and I get my first check and I'm like, wow, that's a lot of work, not a lot of pay. So I'm thinking, okay, well, because I was thinking pretty grandiose ideas of how much I was gonna take home. And what I ended up having was I'm thinking, okay, God, I've watched my parents give obediently. They've talked to me before about the idea of putting aside a gift and giving that to God and, and doing that in obedience. But, but I'm looking at my paycheck and I'm kind of going, all I have enough for is to put gas in my tank and take my girlfriend to Del Taco, which by the way, was the only place to eat in Yucaipa in the day we were growing up. Okay, so that's all I had. So I thought, God, I'll have to, it'll have to wait. I don't have enough. 
So then I graduated, went to college. When I was at college, I'd come home in the summers, and a couple of my summers, I had a job that actually made pretty decent money. And in that, the goal was, I'm gonna save money, and, and I'm thinking in my mind, okay, God, I, I have, I've been scraping together money otherwise, but now I have actually have a real job. I'll go ahead and start giving obediently. But then as I'm getting my paychecks, I'm thinking, but this money has to go for my expenses this next semester. And actually, I have to actually help pay for part of college, which is not a bad thing, but I'm like, that's got to go there too. So as I'm going throughout the summer, I'm realizing that check is being eaten away in terms of what it needs to go for. I guess I'll have to wait. I don't have enough. I graduated from college and my very first job was being a Christian school teacher. And I thought that's where the gold mine must be. Right? Huge money is going to be found there. So I remember getting that first check, and Joanna and I are engaged at this time. She's still in college. I'm living up in the desert, and I'm working, and I get my first check, and I'm like, oh, wow. That's not the gold mine I was thinking. A different mineral would be in this classification. So I get this money, and I'm like, okay, well, I got to be saving up because we, we don't have any savings. We got to put up money to be able to get, you know, first into an apartment and all the down payment and business and then monthly rent, and then we got to furnish it. We have a one-bedroom apartment, but we have nothing. So I'm starting to do that, and I'm thinking, okay, God, this was when I was going to start getting deliberate and consistent in giving, but I don't have enough. We get married, I'm in that role for a couple of years, and somewhere in there we decide, you know what, one bedroom apartment's kind of rough, there is a townhouse across town, and that has more rent, and that has more expense and furnishing, and do you see how it could never stop? For some of us, that's exactly what's still happening. Now for us, at some point in that process, probably about the time we moved in this townhouse, we just said, we just looked at each other, like this is never gonna be a thing we do if we don't just start. So I want you to know there was no magical moment. I want you to know there was no choir singing in the background. Alleluia, they're being obedient. It just happened. And it happened one week, and then it happened the next, and then it happened the next. And that's our pattern now. So I want you to know the way that it begins is with a small step of obedience and not necessarily expecting initially to feel anything. By the way, this is true about every area of obedience in your life. Take a step of obedience, watch God provide, and then take another one. That's how it begins. And this passage is saying that. This is saying God is able, so it begins with the idea, the recognition that God is absolutely the one who provides. And look at the list of superlatives that follows after the so that. You've heard me say this before. I absolutely love in the New Testament how often God will say, here's what it is, do this because of. God doesn't owe us any because of. God doesn't owe us any purpose. He is authoritative and can simply say, do it. But he's a good father. Good parents not only tell our kids what to do, but say there is purpose in this. I don't owe you an explanation, but I want you to connect the dots. So God says, do this. I am able, why? So that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. What is not covered under that canopy? All, 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 every. God is saying, I am going to take care of it. Trust me as you step out in obedience that you will absolutely have enough. Now, he says, and it is written, and he's referencing Psalm 112. 
We don't have time to read the whole psalm today, but I wanted you to know the first nine verses all talk about this idea of basically a description of how the righteous live, how the righteous are blessed. Here's two more verses from that psalm, and I want you to note how much the idea of giving and generosity is found in the description of the righteous. Look what it says. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. So what we see is God is saying in Psalm 12, let me give a description of what righteous people are like, how they behave. And you see three of those nine verses relate to how they give generously, compassionately, and obediently. That's a descriptor. And like we've said, so why is that? Because they simply are living out the attributes of God, a God who gives and a God who is generous. Number two in your notes, generosity prompts God to increase your opportunities for more generosity. Generosity prompts God for more, for your, uh, to increase your opportunities for more generosity. That might be perplexing. What is Todd talking about? 2 Corinthians 9.10. Now he, talking about God, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase and increase, see that word, and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. What we saw last week is that God is the owner. Now what we see also is that God is the provider. God is the supplier. And here's why that's different. You might go, okay, well, that seems a lot the same. No, to own something is one thing. How you choose intentionally and strategically to dole it out, that's another job. God is not just owner, God is supplier and provider who is putting underneath your leadership, underneath your responsibility, certain resources to engage and to invest or not. He's both owner and supplier. And I was thinking about these words about you know, what it says, God's gonna give seed to the sower, bread for food. And I was just thinking this week about how much you and I don't even begin to understand what that means. By way of this, this morning, before I came to church, I had a bowl of fruit. I didn't give one iota of thought of the seed that went in the ground to produce the fruit that I just simply enjoyed today. Also this morning, I didn't give one thought to the harvesters who walked through the fields and were picking coffee beans so I could have an incredible cup of coffee to start my day. I didn't think at all about what it meant to harvest grains so that it could be put into bread for me to put in my toaster and eat today. I didn't go back to any of the essential elements at all. I just consumed. Oh, let me rephrase. I did a couple things. I asked my wife to go to the store to buy them. A lot of energy on my part, right? Hey, Joanna, can you put that on the list? And then when I was engaging them this morning, I did go to the cupboard, I did go to the refrigerator, and I did turn on the toaster. Yay me. <laughs> All I dealt with today was finished products. I didn't once go back to the elements, I didn't go back to the essentials of how those things even come about. And here's what Paul is saying to a first century audience, when you talk to them about giving seed to sow, they probably all had gardens from which they were eating from, primarily. When you talk about bread to eat, it was a consistent reality. We're gonna have bread at every meal and I actually didn't just go to the store, it's just come out of the oven because I just baked it. 
I know everything that went into not only putting it together, but even harvesting the grain to have right now. They understood at the basic elements, these things we completely take for granted. And I want to say this, while that is true, and while it even brings us back to this idea that they were in tune with this illustration, I have a hunch. I have a hunch that Paul is actually not even talking about physical seed and physical bread. Let me show you why I think that. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11 I wonder if what Paul's doing is he's actually making an allusion to the seed being the word of God and the soil being the fertile soil of your heart. Let me show you why I say that. Beginning in verse 10, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish. Isaiah's going all the way back. Look at the creator, the sustainer of creation. Nothing happens that he doesn't first initiate. He's the one who provides the rain. The rain goes into the soil. The soil causes seeds to grow, to bud, and to flourish. He's going all the way back to that step. Why? Here's a quote that Paul quotes but isn't given a reference to, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Most any time you read in the New Testament, that kind of a close quote to something in the old, they're invoking it, they're referencing it. And now the next verse you know really well. Just like that is true, so is my, this is God talking, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Many of us know that second verse, but we didn't know what came before it. And it was God using an image, God using an analogy, just like this works in the physical world, I provide all the elements so that there can be seeds, so that there can be bread, so does my word go out in such a way that it brings transformation. It brings change, it brings vitality, it brings life. I wonder if that's really what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. Just as the word of God provides the seed, and just like when that seed hits the fertile soil of your heart, So what is harvested, so what is produced is something valuable and something that absolutely honors me. At Trinity Church, I want you to know that we look at, we, our attitude towards the word of God is that it's not a nice supplement to life. We absolutely believe it's crucial. Why? Because it is the word of God. And as a result, we've actually put together one of our core values around that concept. You can see it on the screen. We believe that the Bible is God's story and it's been given for this purpose to transform you and to be an authority in your life, to be the authority in your life. And so when you process that and you see, hey, why do they care so much about the Bible? Why are they making such a big deal? It's kind of got a lot of neat stories and a lot of helpful suggestions. We don't see it that way. Not only is it authoritative, but watch this, with the goal of transforming you from the inside out. When you begin to give generously with a cheerful heart, that in a, in a consumeristic Southern California culture, that is absolutely transformative. Because we're not wired to think that way. We're wired to think, how much more can I consume? Now, you'll never say that, and I'll never say that, but that's the mode of our lives. That's what it looks like when we keep showing up to Costco. Not dogging Costco, by the way. I go there often. But you get this idea. This is what that transformation looks like, is when we're being changed from the inside out. Now, I want you to know, 
as you read this, and even as you read my bullet point, if there's some kind of a thought that this is maybe a passage to what you've heard called the health and wealth gospel, this is not that at all. Look back at this. Don't misinterpret it that way, but it's God saying this. God's saying that when just the seed of his word gets into your life, watch the way he partners with you, watch the way he amplifies what that is to actually mean so much more. And when we give obediently, consistently, and cheerfully, generously, when we do that, look what God does with a small amount and amplifies it just well beyond what we could have ever imagined that actual resource doing in people's lives because God is the one who's actually blowing it up. God's the one growing it and increasing it. All that's ours to do is to give is to give obediently and generously and cheerfully and to let God do something that only God can do with it. Finally today, number three, because God will provide, you'll have enough to give generously. Because God will provide, you'll have enough to give generously. The last verse we're looking at today, 2 Corinthians 9, 11, it says, you will be enriched, we'll come back to that word in a second, you'll be enriched in every way, more superlatives, in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, <clears throat> and through us, this last line, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This verse actually begins, I believe, with an axiom that Paul shares just a chapter earlier in 2 Corinthians 8. Look up at the screen. I think the axiom is simply this. You're responsible for what you have, not what you don't have. Watch that. You're responsible for what you have, not what you don't have. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 8, 12. For if the willingness is there, this is, remember I said 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are all about the idea of giving generously. So this is all in the same context. And Paul writes, for if the willingness is there, meaning there is this attitude, this posture of wanting to be obedient and generous. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. Why? According to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So many times in our life, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> we kind of go around thinking, you know, God, I wish I could do more in this area, or God, I just, I don't have the capacity to do more than X. And, and we constantly are feeling badly that we don't have more that we could even invest in various things. The Bible says you're not on the hook for what you don't have. That's never been the issue. Let's take that out of the equation. The reality of what we're talking about, and why do we see this? Back to the parable of the, the, um, what we usually call it, the parable of the talents or the parable of the faithful stewards. The, the steward who is given three talents is never held accountable for five like the other guy was. He was given three, and when he invested those well, it comes back to his master and says, you gave me three, I invested them, I got three more for you. What does the master say? The very same words he says to the guy who invested five and brings five more back. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've done it. You did exactly what I wanted you to do with what I gave you. That's the hinge. That's the evaluation. Nothing more, nothing less. So Paul shares that axiom and he's sharing it with them to say, hey, don't stress about what you don't have. Be obedient with what you do. I use that word, so you'll be enriched. We saw that word a minute ago. <clears throat> that word's a powerful word to me as I think about it. And by the way, it says that as a result of being enriched, they'll have the opportunity on, again, more superlatives, every occasion in every way. 
So God's going to take care of it. That word enrich, I, I like the word encourage. I, I, I say it often. Thank you for being such an encouragement to me. That word encouragement, when you break it down very literally, it simply means to give courage. That's why encouragement is so needed and so helpful to people. People who are struggling and need it, you give them courage when you encourage them. But the word enrich means the same way, to give riches, to give resources. So enrich means the God who supplies, who enriches, who gives these resources, he's the one who's gonna make it available for you to do this. And what's interesting is it takes us back to where we started today, a dependence on God. God is able, God's the one enriching them, so we see God's hand all throughout this. And when we do, what's interesting, it brought me back this week and I was thinking about in the Old Testament, there's actually one of the names of God that actually very much speaks to this idea, the name Jehovah Jireh. In your notes, God will provide. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. And I want you to catch something that is very subtle and easy to miss. It doesn't say God provided. It's not a past tense term. It's not, in this case, leaning on yesterday. It's rich with faith. It's rich with confidence. It's rich with trust. God will provide. One of the first times we see that name of God is in the Old Testament in Genesis 22. You'll remember a guy named Abraham. Abraham is a unique guy that God just called out, like meaning of all the people on the planet, there was no nation of Israel, there was no unique people of God, they were all God's people, but he calls out Abram, that's his name, interesting name, Abram means father, calls out a guy who's married, has no kids, and he says, hey, I know you're living here, I'm not even gonna give you a map, I just want you to follow my lead, and when you get there, I'll say you've, you've made it. I don't know about who of us in this room is gonna take God up on that, but he did. And he just kept putting one foot in front of the next, following where God was going to lead with no map and no idea of where he was gonna finish up. He finally ends up in the land of Canaan. By the way, he's a visitor. He doesn't own anything there. He has no rights to be there. He's there and God says, I'm going to give this land to the generations, to the nation who's gonna come from you. He's telling that to a guy with no kids. Okay, God, that'll be great. Later on in some interactions with Abram, he actually comes back again and says, I'm gonna change your name. And he's like, oh, finally, because I got no kids and it's weird rocket walking around with the name dad, all the, you know, dad, I'm sure. Where are you? I don't have any kids, but that's my name. He says, finally gonna get over. He says, now I'm gonna change your name to Abraham, father of many. Let's put that on the t-shirt. Abraham puts his hands in the mix, doesn't go about it God's way, and God finally says, Abraham, I told you what I was gonna do. It's a lot longer. It's not in your timeline. But I told you I was gonna take care of this for you. I told you I was gonna provide for you. And he finally gives him his son. Abraham and Sarah literally are as old as dirt when they have this son, Isaac. And he rejoices over the fact, he calls Isaac the son of promise. God, you promised, you delivered. That's up to Genesis 22. That's about where we're at. And then one day, God says to Abraham, take your son Isaac, your one and only son, and take him up to the mountain right over there 
and I want you to sacrifice them to me. Can I tell you, there's never another place in the Bible where God ever asks anyone to do anything like that except for himself when he sacrifices one and only son on a cross for you. But in a foreshadowing way, he says, take Isaac up to a mountain. Isaac's probably a young man at this point. Take him up to a mountain, sacrifice him to me. Watch this. So Abraham gathered his things put the kindling on the donkey and Ted said to Isaac, we're gonna go sacrifice. No hesitation. No, God, you're wrong for all these 89 reasons. None of that. Stuff on the donkey walks up the hill. Partway up the hill, Isaac is out in front. Isaac's wondering about something. He crosses his mind, looks over his shoulder at his dad. Hey, dad, where, where's the offering? I mean, I've been on these treks with you before. I've gone and, and made a sacrifice with you before. We always brought a lamb, though, first. Where, where's that going to come from? Here's the name of God. Abraham says in reply, Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. He didn't say God provided, and I've got it right back here in the back. He didn't say, God will provide, and I know exactly what it's going to be. It's right up there. Wait. He didn't say any of that because he had no idea. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. They walk all the way up to the top of the hill. And as Abraham is asking Isaac to help him build the altar, you got to watch this. Isaac, if he was old as dirt when, Abraham was, when Isaac was born, then he's really old, old at this point. Could have easily... Isaac could have easily pushed back against it and said, hey, by the way, you're it, you know, at that point. Isaac could have easily run, could have easily just kind of taken care of his dad. He doesn't. As much faith as Abraham has, I give so much credit to Isaac. And as Abraham bounds, binds, binds his son and lays him on the altar, you got to read Hebrews chapter 11 to make sense of this story because it's powerful. It gives some commentary. Abraham goes and he raises the knife. His son is complicit on this altar. And as he raises the knife, Hebrews 11 says that Abraham believed God would even raise the dead. Meaning you didn't give me a whole bunch of sons, a fleet of sons. You gave me this one. This is the son of promise. And if you call me today to take his life, I'm gonna do it, but I know you're gonna raise him from the dead then because you said it's through Isaac that the nation comes. That kind of faith was the kind of faith that raised the knife. And at that moment, an angel stops him and there over in the thicket is a ram and there is the sacrifice. Once they'd sacrificed the ram to God, Abraham said, this place will be called Jehovah Jireh. Watch this. He didn't say this place will be called God provided, even though he had. Now, now he's on the other side of faith. He's seen sight, right? The opposite of faith is not doubt, but sight. He's seen God provide, so he could easily have said, I'm not hoping God will. I saw it. God provided. He calls it God will provide. Why? Because the next time he walked near that mountain in subsequent generations, they would look on that hill and they would say, in the same way that God provided for Abraham, he'll provide for me. It's a powerful story when you consider Abraham. 
a man of a kind of faith I just kind of pray for. It's about as close as I get. But here's what some of us are saying today. Todd, that's really great. God loved Abraham in a really unique way, right? Talk to him. You don't know the financial quagmire that I'm in. You don't know the mess of debt that is wrapping itself around my throat. And I want to be quick to say, I don't. Absolutely agreed. But what I also want you to hear is this. That word, will provide, it's used 1,300 plus times in the Old Testament alone. It's all over the Old Testament, but watch. The majority of the time, it's translated not as provide, but as sees. God sees. So if you're here today and you're thinking, it's really neat that a God a billion miles away may or may not provide for me this week, that's a whole different thing from the fact that God intimately is aware of every facet of your life. I think that's actually a lot more encouraging than the fact that God provided in a cool way for a guy named Abraham a few thousand years ago, but that's the God That's the God who he calls himself, I see. I know where you're at and what you're going through. I've not given up on you. Don't give up on me. This is how God, or Paul finishes this last part that we're looking at today. He says that God will provide these things for you. And look at what he says. He says that the reason why God's gonna provide, remember here we see that word, that phrase, so that again, the why? so that you can be generous on every occasion. Not so that I can become more comfortable, not so that I have more dollars to spend at Costco for myself, but that I can be more generous. That's why there's more seed, so it can be actually sown in ways invested towards kingdom things that provide and reap kingdom benefits. And look at how he finishes. What will this generosity lead to besides simply being obedient to God? That's what we've heard. By giving back to God, by using his resources his way, I'm being obedient. But what else is going to erupt out of that decision? Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Here's the interesting thing. I told you that day when Joanna and I crossed the line and said, you know what? We're just going to start giving because we're never going to have enough. And by the way, it's really cool. Uh, if you're watching our social media, Chris Petnak actually posted that verse yesterday. And of the guy, if there's anyone on, who's ever lived on the planet who's going to tell me that people who love money never have enough, when Solomon says that in Ecclesiastes, that's someone I'm going to trust. Because that guy had more than any of us could ever dream. And he says there's never going to be enough when there's never enough. So instead, just make the decision with what you have. So when Joanna and I, I told you, when we stepped up that line, we're just going to start being obedient. We're not going to wait for some trumpets. And, and once we did, nobody threw a parade. And God did not come down face to face with me and said, there you go. None of that. It was just a small step of obedience that then became a habit. I don't know what happens after that. So I love that we're doing Advent Conspiracy. It's when I got to, Trinity had been doing this for a long time before I got here. And when I heard about it, I just was so just excited for it. It's such a great idea at Christmas time when we all think generously more anyways. Let's do a special offering to receive funds that we're just gonna give away. That's exactly what happens with Advent Conspiracy. 
We do another type of special offering in the spring called Impact Offering. An impact offering is all about helping kids get to camp. That's 100% of those funds help our, uh, now our first grade through 12th grade students go to various camps that we do in the summer. So this last summer, many of you gave in very generous ways to that fund, and we were able to take a huge group of kids to all three of our camps, here locally at our camp, and then camp students up to middle school, to Pondo, and high school students to Hume, San Diego. One of our high school students who received those offerings actually didn't even come to Trinity. Her name's Valerie. You can take a look. It's Valerie. So Valerie was invited from friends from work. Do you know what was happening? You know what's happening, by the way? I just had the privilege of talking to our high school students this last Tuesday night. They're actually doing a series right now about the names of God. So I spoke on a different name of God uh, to them. It was such a privilege. I'm in the room with 100 students. Can I tell you? I recognize probably 30 of them. Do you know why that is? Because they're doing an amazing job of inviting the people in their relational world to come and see who Jesus is all about. And Valerie was one of them. She didn't go to Trinity Church, didn't go to any church, but her friends from work said, hey, we are going to summer camp. We would love for you to come, and there's no better place to not only get introduced to Trinity, but more importantly, get introduced to Jesus than come to summer camp. So Valerie does, and Valerie's a recipient of some of the impact offering that you gave. Valerie goes to summer camp, and on the second night of camp, Valerie put her faith in Jesus. It was so awesome, so good. And as a result of that, I remember that night, my daughter Kendi sent me a... um, a, 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 ta- a picture in her Facebook, or in her, sorry, Facebook. Uh, high school students don't know what Facebook is, sorry, Instagram. And uh, she sent me an Instagram post and she said, Dad, check this out. And it's a picture of her with Valerie. It says something about Jesus having a new person in his family. Now that was in July when we went. When Valerie got home, she heard about the fact that we're actually gonna do a thing at Fall Reunion called Baptism, where we make our faith public. And that's the picture that you just saw. That's Valerie coming out of the water when Hilke baptized her this last September. Watch this. You don't know what God is going to do with the gifts that you give. But he says they're gonna result in thanksgiving. Can I tell you something? Valerie is thankful that you gave and made a way for her to go to camp so she could respond to Jesus. Valerie's relational world, the people she does life with, they see a brand new Valerie. They're thankful that you gave so Valerie could go to camp and respond to Jesus. Valerie, those of us who were there that day and got to hear, Valerie was just one of many who got baptized that day, and we got to hear Valerie's story. We are thankful that you gave to the impact offering so Valerie could go to camp. You don't know what Thanksgiving's going to come. Paul just says it's going to because you give with generosity. Here's our now what statement I hope that you hold on to this week. Be generous with what God provided, knowing that he'll keep providing in the future. Let me pray. Father, we come before you today as a people who would simply say thank you. Thank you for having a generous heart towards us and for your nature being that of giving. And we are grateful to be recipients and help us not just be a people who are grateful to receive. God, help us to take on your character, to take on that attribute and to give as well. And so we pray today, would we be a people who grow in our generosity and our cheerfulness in giving because you are a cheerful giver. 
If you're here today and you haven't yet responded to God's greatest gift, his gift of his son who provided a way for you to be forgiven and to be reconciled with him, it actually begins by A, admitting. Admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior. Admitting that there, you recognize there is a need and that you even recognize no amount of religion is ever gonna make you right enough with God. So therefore you need help. Be believe. Believe that Jesus is that help. Believe that what he accomplished for you by living a sinless life, by dying a sacrificial death, by being raised supernaturally on the third day, believe that what Jesus did, he is the only savior available. See is choose. Choose to say today, Jesus, I put my hope, my trust, my confidence in what you've done for me, and now I want to choose to follow you to live my life after your example. You can pray that prayer right where you are. There's nothing keeping you from it, and my prayer for you is that you wouldn't leave here today until you do. Father, we love you. Help us mirror your generosity this week. We pray in Jesus' great name, amen.